Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to what can only be described as another grand and glorious day in the best little city in America that is Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where we will spend the next couple hours on this program, The Patrick Lally Show, engaged in some energetic and entertaining conversation, local, state, national news and politics. We've got some community service and uh, other uh, topics for you today. Uber producer Dan Peters is in studio with us as uh, most days. Thanks for spending some time today through your radio at Information 1000 KSOO. Maybe you're streamed live at KSO.com or on the KSO mobile app with that fancy dancy one touch live streaming. Remember, you can always follow us live on Facebook at the KSOO Facebook page, which is up and working right now, thankfully. There's some there's some dicey moments there with the uh, Wi-Fi today. That's all I want to say about that. But it's up and running, so we're we're good. We're good. Or you can follow on our Twitter account, at P. Lally Show, if you like the Twitters, which we do. Dan is manning the computer as we speak, and he keeps you up to date. He posts links. He uh, answers your questions, whatever may be in front of us on the Twitter. Um, it's what did you did, with the weather? It's, it feels like 103. What? Actual air temperature 93. It feels like 103. Well, that describe that that explains why I uh, <clears throat> had some trouble getting here today. Dew point seventy four today. See, Humidity set fifty four percent. It's uh, it's it's humid, as we like to say in the uh, uh, back in the in the hood, humid. But uh, it's you know, and it's windy, so it's got all the makings of a fine fine day. I saw something from the National Weather Service earlier on the Twitter said that there was a front just parked on us, just parked on us. That's why we were stuck in this blast furnace. Speaking of parked. The, the temperature is probably rising within the vehicles along 26th and Southeastern. Uh-oh. There is a train that is stopped on the railroad tracks at that intersection. People, that's, that's bad right there. That's bad. Get off while you still can, people. If you're headed towards 26th and Southeastern, get off. Go up to Cliff. Go down to 18th. The River Road, 14th, 18th, just get out of there. You're going to go out of your way, but <laughs> you'll Gee. probably, it'll be about the same, probably less time At least by you're going moving. some other way. Yeah. yeah. God, that happens from time to time. And uh, that ain't going away. In fact, that big construction project over there that they are just now beginning will eventually alleviate that because 26th Street is going to go over the railroad tracks. It's a mammoth project. If you go over, uh, they're, they're putting in the pilings and stuff right now for the bridge that will be uh, over to uh, the park, the new Rotary Park. And if you stop there, they've got a schematic, schematic of what it's all going to look like. And it's big. (laughs) Don't let anybody fool you. This is a monstrous. I think it's going to take them like three years to do. It's huge. Oh, yeah. And they've been doing all of the the listening sessions, public Mm -hmm. input on this project for a long time. Yeah, because they weren't sure which one they were going to use for a long time. And they've actually tore out a couple houses. But... uh, it's it's going to be impressive when it's done. Um, you know, I'm worried about this rain, though, too, because uh, you know what tonight is, Dan? Tonight is the wiener. Wiener man. Wiener man. Over in Laverne. Hot dog days over in Laverne. It's the wiener man. I am not an actual participant in the wiener man, uh, but I'm more of a chronicler of uh, Team Hot Mess. So it's going to the reigning champions, I must I might say of team hot mess. So they got to run and eat and it's just, a, it's kind of disgusting, but it's a kind of tradition over there in Laverne for hot dog days. They've got a lot going on for hot dog days. There's a, the suburbs are playing this weekend. There's, uh, it's got all kinds of live music and here's, here's what you're looking at as far as the precipitation chances, because once you get to seven o'clock, that's when the precipitation chances get to about 60%. And then they gradually rise till about 10 o'clock. Then they spike at about 75%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then probably the best chances of rain will be running from about 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. to about 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. tomorrow morning. Nice. So that's nice. that's where your premium potential rain showers are going to happen. Well, hopefully we won't get dumped on at Wiener Man. 
That would be a shame. I'm just going to, I think I'll just be at the Take 16 brewery tap room <laughs> waiting, waiting for everything to get done. And who can blame you on no, that? No, nobody. That's who. Nobody. Um, we have a great show for you today. Uh, Libby Screen is going to be with us. Uh, she's been on the show a couple times before. She, of course, the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. We're going to be talking about uh, the Supreme Court, uh, civil rights issues. They've got this uh, big push on educating people about the criminal justice system, and they have been involved with the county opt-out, which didn't go through. So we've got a lot to talk to Libby about, and she'll be in in the 4 o'clock hour. The Boon Man is our weird friend of the day. And here is a statement that I, I, I never thought would come out of my, my mouth. But we have three members of the Daughters of the American Revolution coming in, three representatives of the DAR. Uh, and actually it's pretty interesting because they've got, uh, this big, uh, endowment and they're going to tell us all about that, but they're trying to give away money. They're looking for organizations who want money and we'll find out what the parameters are on that at about three forty-five. So stay tuned if you want money. Uh, and I'll have a P and L statement just after the next break. Today's topic, the tariff tango. That's all coming up next on the Patrick Lally show information 1000. KSOO. 317 on the Patrick Lally Show. Yes, and it's time for the PL statement here on Information 1000 KSOO. It's what we normally do in this slot. The time of day when we go through the news and uh, look for things that uh, disturb us, enlighten us, make us happy, make us sad, that kind of thing. And uh, today, uh, you know, I, as you people know, I kind of got this, uh, we'll say a burr, a burr under my saddle about tariffs and the tariff policy and it's no secret here that i don't think it's a good idea to be slapping tariffs on every import that comes into this country uh and that it is particularly bad for the agriculture sector which means it's particularly bad for south dakota and i have called many times called on our delegation to take a firm stand with the president saying that these are destructive tariffs that will undermine the agriculture economy that we have spent many a decade trying to build by opening markets in places like China. How many, de- how many trade groups and delegations and governors have gone to China trying to open up trade? It's a lot. And with one swoop of the pen, swoop, Swipe of the pen with these tariffs. President Trump is undoing any progress that we have made. And I don't think that's an overstatement. I really don't. It's already costing us money. And now, uh, yesterday, Corey Heidelberger, blogger Corey Heidelberger from Dakota Free Press and I, we talked about this extensively. When would the Republicans who have been backing Trump on this, who clearly are free traders, and are in places like South Dakota that will not benefit from these policies. If there's anybody that will benefit, I don't know who they are. Allegedly, some folks in the Rust Belt where alleged jobs are going to be coming back. But so far, all I can see is that we're losing jobs. And we talked about when the Republicans in Congress would break ranks with the president in a forceful way. Well, I don't know if this is forceful or not, but it may have been happening as we were speaking yesterday because in a joint statement from Congresswoman Christy Noem, Senators John Thune and Mike Rounds, they issued a letter, a strongly worded letter. And in the release with the accompanies the letter, this is from uh, the office of Christy Noem. The three 
strongly urged President Trump to make a U.S. agriculture exports a priority with our trading partners around the world. Recent market uncertainty has already cost South Dakota producers hundreds of millions of dollars, and the delegation hopes this letter serves as a reminder to the president that this industry cannot afford to be further entangled in global trade disputes. And uh, it's it's a lovely letter, as I say, strongly worded, without really being strong. Let's let's look at the highlights here. Um, the, the first paragraph, over the past several months, we have expressed serious concern that the steep drop in commodity and livestock prices linked to current U.S. trade policies and recently effectuated sanctions, effectuated, could push an alarming number of our state's farms, ranches, and rural areas to the brink of economic collapse. First of all, side note, I feel sorry for the person who had to write this thing. Going on, agriculture is South Dakota's number one industry and the cornerstone of its economy. South Dakota ranks in the top 10 sales in producing cattle, hogs, corn, wheat, and soybeans with more than 11 million acres of these three crops planted in 2018. Because of our state's dependency on agriculture exports, our producers can no longer continue to wait and see what happens with U.S. trade in the global arena. Trade uncertainty over just the past few months has cost South Dakota farmers and ranchers hundreds of millions of dollars that they could not afford to lose. And then this part, this is the part that's so nice. We appreciate and support your administration's efforts to address a broad spectrum of trade inequities. We do not support, however, making agriculture exports, which have been the exception to such trade inequities, bear the brunt of retaliatory actions in response to current U.S. trade policies. Although you have stated that the agricultural sector will be taken care of through some form of USDA assistance, please keep in mind that U.S. export market share is diminishing daily at an alarming rate, and history has proven that once lost... Export markets can take years, even decades, to recapture. Yada, yada, yada. So the strongly worded letter has gone out to the president's office, and I'm sure I'm sure he read it. Eh, I'm betting he didn't. But I'm saying this. The, thank you to the delegation for speaking honestly. While be it, you know, not as, you know, you uh, we, well, we, we appreciate, we really, President Trump, we really appreciate everything you've done for us, but <laughs> you're killing us over here. All right. You're killing us. Because here's the deal is that it is killing us. And when the Farm Bureau, as we talked about yesterday, and the Chamber of Commerce, which we talked about yesterday, and we'll talk about tomorrow with Deborah Owen from the Sioux Falls Chamber of Commerce, have expressed grave reservations about the policy and what it's doing to the economy and the business atmosphere here in South Dakota and across the nation, you know you got trouble. And if you are an elected official from the state of South Dakota and you are not backing the Farm Bureau and the, and the uh, Chamber of Commerce, then you got trouble. But here's the deal. This is what I don't understand, okay? If you are any of those three people, eh, take, take the two senators, right? Okay, take Christy Noam out of it. She's running for governor. The two senators. They, they're not in political danger, Thune especially. And they will only bolster their credentials with the actual people of South Dakota if they stand up for the people of South Dakota. You don't have to agree with the president. You shouldn't agree with the president on this issue, and you should speak the truth, not this sort of mamby-pamby stuff, but speak the truth. Don't play the game. Represent the people of South Dakota, and you will be richly rewarded. Turn your back on them, and you will be thrown out. And in this case, these tariffs, this is not a surprise, okay? Why did it take so long? There's nothing surprising about this. There's nothing that has happened since the tariffs went into place that wasn't predicted over and over again. That this was bad for 
the agriculture economy and therefore bad for South Dakota. And if that's the truth, it is your job as two members in the U.S. Senate to stand up against it. And nobody in the world of economics thinks it's a good idea. Very few people in the world of politics and government think it's a good idea. So what are you so afraid of? Do the right thing. And you will be richly rewarded. Don't worry about Trump. People are not going to vote against you in this state because you went against the president on trade policy. That's just nuts. And if you're worried about your majority in the Senate, the best way to hold on to that is to do what's best for the people. And this is not it. These trade policies are bad. Say it over and over again. Get on CNN. Senator Thune, you have a you got a hotline to all the news shows. Get on there. Stand up. Be forceful. Instead of, well, we're we have we have grave concerns. By the time your grave concerns take root, it's going to be too late. So thank you for the letter. Keep it going. I want to hear more. That's the bottom line on today's PL statement. Agree or disagree with me, you can email me, Patrick at KSO.com. Always on the Twitter at P. Lally Show. Coming up right after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters, it's the Boone Man, the one, the only. It's been a little while for the Boone Man, so it's going to be good to catch up. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. Got fired from a cattle drag up north. The ropes of the gallows was swinging in the breeze. All the wanted posters had pictures of me. I got Michael 45 right by my side. 3.35 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we bring into the phone, into the studio via the telephonic, the Boone Man. Boone Man, are you, are you staying cool? Are you in so indoors someplace? I am right now, and uh, I am looking forward to spending some quality time in the hillbilly pool later today. Oh, you, that's right. You got the hillbilly yeah. pool all set up. It's, uh, awesome, and it's beautiful. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, it's great. But, you know, I love this time of year. It's, it's unseasonably hot, I think, for right now. You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. So Empire Fair. Ah, yes. This is, this is fair hot yep. right with a hot wind, yeah. I got a, I got a uh, I got a uh, text or a message from uh, our friend Dave in Florida yesterday yeah. or a couple of days ago. It was just uh, a wall of voodoo. I got a hot wind it's on my shoulder. A little Mexican radio, Mexican radio, baby. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, a swim point fair that's coming up in yeah. a few weeks. Like uh, I think the third, and you know, my favorite thing about the fair. What's that? Milk and milkshake. <laughs> I don't know who does it. I don't know if it's the South Dakota Dairy Producers or SDSU. I don't know. All I know is they have ice cold milk for almost nothing. Yes. You can get a milkshake for a a dollar. dollar. You can drink as much as you want. That's awesome. It is. And milk is great. And it's a subject that came up in in a recent conversation, and maybe you've heard people say this before, but... Somebody said, I don't know how it came up, but they said, you know, humans are the only animal that drinks the milk of another animal, and humans are the only animal that drinks milk after infancy. Have you heard people make that statement? No. That's You've weird. You've never heard that? I've heard people make that. Great, and they say it with such an air of superiority, <laughs> as if it's some indisputable fact, you know, <laughs> that you shouldn't be drinking milk. It's not, well, I'm going to tell you, here's the deal. First of all, milk is delicious. Yes, I love milk. Whole milk. Oh. Ice cold whole milk. Yeah. Don't say, skim milk is like taking a bath with your socks on. <laughs> Just a, you do, I, I don't understand it. Ice cold whole milk. Uh, and here's the deal. Humans may be the only animal that drink, drinks the milk of another animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but guess what? We're the only animal that, that raises our own food. That's true. So with cattle and farming, we're the only animal that cooks our food. We're the only animal that builds restaurants and pays somebody else to cook our food. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. And thank God for that. And drink some milk. It's, it's great to get out to the fair and grab some of that. I mean, it's a few weeks, so I'm giving you plenty of warning. Yes. Get it on your calendar. 
it was always a good place to go when you were a kid at the fair because you're out of money. Your yeah. last dollar would be getting the milkshake yeah. before you got back on your bike to ride home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And not a good idea to get to, to fill up on milk before the tilt a world. <laughs> no. The, uh, the famed line from Anchorman, <laughs> milk was a bad idea. Just a big rope of milk coming out of your mouth. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, I, I observe a lot yeah, on, I know a, you do. on the gritty uh, pothole-filled streets of Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, I, I got to tell you about uh, a guy that I saw the other day. I was up on North Minnesota Avenue. And the guy caught my eye. is a big, burly guy. Big, like you wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. Kind of a tough guy look. Mm-hmm. He's he's got a kind of a hybrid mohawk uh, mullet, <laughs> maybe a mullet hawk, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can see it. I visualize. It's dyed bright pink. <laughs> okay. He, he is riding a scooter, no helmet. Yeah. Not, not a not a motorcycle. Yeah. Not a moped. Scooter. Scooter. A Vespa. Well, no, not a Vespa or a Honda or a Yamaha. It's one of those off-brand Chinerific scooters. You know? <laughs> got it, got it. Yeah, you... or something. Yeah. What I tell you, what struck me about this guy is his confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to have a whole lot of confidence <laughs> to zip around town on a scooter with a, a pig mullet hawk. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's kind of like ponytail guy. You know. Yeah. Grown man with a ponytail. Yeah. You know. You know who I'm talking about. Oh yeah. I was going to tell you, if you are a grown man with a ponytail, just know that every one of your male friends has thought about cutting it off <laughs> at some point. And yeah. don't pass out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, don't want, I don't want to paint you know, with too broad a brush strokes here, but guys with ponytails have some pretty consistent characteristics. <laughs> Which and are? Most of them own an exotic pet, like yeah. a cockatoo yeah. or an iguana or ferret, maybe a ferret, yeah, mantula. ferret. Yep. Probably know some magic tricks, um, <laughs> or at least card tricks. Card tricks, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, they, they probably do karate in front of a mirror, you know, at home. <laughs> yeah, that sort of stuff. I, I mean, I don't want to be ponytail guy or pink mullet hawk guy, right. but I would love to have the confidence of ponytail guy. Is it confidence or just... Oh, it is. No, you got, yeah, it is. It's uh, maybe confidence and arrogance and, and- ignorance. Ignorance is that what I was going for. <laughs> probably, probably a combination of all of the above. No, it's good. The guy did the guy by any chance have a heater hanging out of the corner of his No, he, he might have just thrown it out. Ah, as you know, uh, as as you and all smokers know, the world is an ashtray. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the only con- the only time you can flick a butt out the window is if you're smoking Camel Industrial Strength, no filters. <laughs> And all balls, the camels, the Chesterfields, with no filter, because that's just leaves. Yes, that's fine. But you know, nobody smokes those. No, they got the filter on there. Then they're everywhere because they, they never the die. Yeah, they're out there forever. The world. I quite often tell people at stop signs and stoplights and on the street, the world is not your ashtray. Pick that up. And they, they never, never do. do but, no, uh, they just look at you. Yeah. Throw a rocket. I did have yeah. a guy do that in the parking lot, though. He flicked it down. They said, "The world is not your ashtray." <laughs> and he did pick it up. And <laughs> really, one time, <laughs> one time. But I still keep doing it, just uh, on the outside chance that people will listen. Well, and you know, you're a big guy. You're, yeah, you're you're uh, you have a presence, so a lot of people aren't going to like lip off. Well, that's the other thing I did. I embarrassed my my kids uh, beyond belief walking into a sporting event and someone had parked in a spot that's not a parking spot because mm-hmm. uh, everybody has to park by the front door mm-hmm. you know so there was a guy parked in a spot that wasn't a spot and he was getting out as we were walking by and i just turned my head to him very nicely exactly like this i said that's not a parking spot and just kept walking and my kids thought <laughs> the awfulest thing in the world he moved his car <laughs> yes yes Victory! Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Par- you can't know that's not. How do you? You know that's not a party. You knew that going in. You got busted. You put your tail between your legs and you did the right thing. That's fine. You gave it a shot and you lost. Yeah. Hey, uh, Boone Man, did you bring a, a punchline for me today? I do. I have just a little punchline. If you want to know the joke, it's easy. You just Google up the punchline yep. and you'll find it. Uh, I'm just going to tell you, probably not safe for work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it don't really matter what you wear to the party. It's just going to be me and you. <laughs> oh, that's good. 
Boone Man, uh, as always, thank you for uh, brightening my day. All right, my pleasure. Talk to you next week. Bye. Coming up after the break, we are going to have uh, three representatives of the Daughters of the American Revolution, and it's going to be a blast. So stick close if you want money. they got money to give away. More on that later. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. 347 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. And I am quite pleased to have in studio with us two representatives of the Daughters of the American Revolution, Sioux Falls Chapter. They are Bert Olson. He's president of the Mary Chilton DAR Foundation Board. Bert, thanks for being here. Pleasure to be here. And Kim Euchre, she is a regent of the Mary Chilton chapter of the DAR. Kim, also, thank you very much. Pleased to be here. So the reason we wanted to have you guys in, pure and simple, you got a bunch of cash to give away. Is that, do I have that right? How do, how do you uh, explain that? Well, we received a, a bequest from Dorothy Day Davenport back in 1980. And we have invested that, and we currently give out approximately $100,000 a year. Uh, our major focuses are education, patriotism, and historic preservation. So uh, it, it, it's a lot. That's a lot of money. But people don't, there's a general sort of, uh, people don't know about this organization. Well, I've, everybody's heard of the Daughters of the American Revolution, but nobody knows that you're giving away money. Uh, how how is it that uh, uh, you guys have kind of flown under the radar? Probably under not under your radar, but under my radar. Well, um, most of the chapters uh, there's three thousand chapters nationwide with Daughters of the American Revolution, and we're just one of a handful of chapters that actually have received bequests and uh, are able to give out money. Um, I think part of it is due to a lack of advertising, and you know we're working on improving that every day. Yeah, so um, Dorothy Day Davenport gave you, bequested this money to you, and uh, you, you started uh, uh, giving away grants, essentially, in 1987. Um, uh, how did, what was, what was her involvement with DAR, and, and why, what, what was it about DAR that attracted her and wanted to do this? Well, um, Dorothy was very special to our chapter. Um, when the chapter was organized on June 17, 1915, she was one of the founding members she actually was the first woman to be a bride inside the chapter as well. Um, what does that mean? Well, her, that, she got married. Oh, okay. I mean, got you it. know, she was the first uh, one of our members to become a bride after the chapter was fully oh, organized. Oh, got it. Um, and she um, was the daughter of uh, Charles Day, who owned the Argus Leader here mm-hmm. in town. And so for a brief stint also in 1954 and 1955, she was president of the Argus Leader. Um, she died without any children. And uh, so, therefore, she gave money back to the foundation or to the chapter, which had meant so much to her during her life. Yeah, there's a actually there's a plaque in the Argus Leader that uh, contains a quote from her father. Uh, and I wish I could say it off the top of my head because it's a marvelous quote. But uh, Mr. Day was uh, a force in this community for many, many years. Um, so tell us then uh what? How do I access this money? If I'm an organization out there, what do, what do I do? Well, we have uh, applications that we ask our, our uh, organizations to submit, and we have several different categories. We have a, a, a larger grant category that allows people to apply up for $15,000, and there's a grant application form that needs to be filled out. We also allow people to submit many grants which is a much smaller uh, piece of paper, uh, for $1,000. And then we offer schoolroom grants up to $500. And in addition to that, we give college scholarships to students at both University of Sioux Falls and Augustana University. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm looking at the, uh, this is a little graphic here, areas of grant distributions um, by category, historical 50%, uh, education 15%, parks and rec 7 fine arts, Veterans and social agencies. So it's really a lot of different. I mean, when you say it's historical education and and patriotic organizations, that actually is a lot of organizations. And and to give you a sense of some of the grants that we've funded in recent years uh, in the historic preservation category, we've funded uh, projects over at the prehistoric Indian village in Mitchell. Uh, And a few years ago, we 
paid for a thatched roof at the Laura Ingalls Wilder uh, exhibit up in DeSmet, South Dakota. Oh, wow. In patriotism, we have paid for uh, veterans to go to Washington, D.C. as part of the Honors Flight Program, and we also have bought a significant number of pocket constitutions for new citizens of the United States. Those are awesome, by the way, those little pocket constitutions. I used to carry one with me all the time. Uh, So, And then in education, when you talk about uh, classroom, $500 classroom grants, are they just... Any teacher who wants to do something in their classroom, yeah, is that what we that target, is? We target smaller school districts for those types of grants, but we also have funded uh, a, a $15,000 grant with the Sioux Falls Education Foundation, and that has two components. One component provides $100 to each new teacher uh, for their classroom supplies their first year that they're on the job, and then the district or the Education Foundation has a program where they screen grant applications from teachers and in total they give about fifty thousand dollars a year to teachers throughout the school district and we help fund about seventy five hundred dollars of that oh wow and kim uh just briefly the the daughters of the american revolution that's something i've heard my whole life what was what is the origins of the organization well um dar is a lineage-based a non-political women's service organization and whose motto is god home and country And uh, the primary focus of the Daughters of the American Revolution is in historic preservation, education, and patriotism. And that's one of the reasons why we primarily fund those three projects, those three types of projects, because that's something that's very near and dear to Daughters of the American Revolution. It was fun. um, The Daughters was um, founded in 1890. And it was just one year after the Sons of the American Revolution. The Sons mm. was founded in 1889, and we were founded in October of 1890. Oh, interesting. And so if I am a group out there and I want to uh, make an application, where do I find the materials? Where, how do I do that? What's the process? Well, here? if you're looking for the foundation, it's very easy. You uh, can go to a bit.ly link. Uh, so it's bit.ly mm-hmm. slash Mary Chilton Foundation. Got it. And that will get you directly to the contact page. And we'll get that up on our Twitter feed. Uber producer Dan Peters is over there popping that out right now. So if people want to get that, they can get that link. And then uh, uh, any any other things that I need to know as an organization if I want to get involved? Uh, we accept grant applications three times a year. Uh, that would be in January, May, and September. Awesome. So the next one's in September, so that'll be great. Um, Kim Euchre, she's the region of Mary Chilton chapter of the DAR, and Bert Olson, president of the Mary Chilton DAR Foundation Board. Guys, thanks a lot for coming in, and good luck. Thank you very much. Thank Come, you. Coming up after the news and weather, we'll chat with Libby Screen of the ACLU of South Dakota. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. This is a public service announcement with guitar. Know your rights. 3.58 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Don't forget, tonight, Friday, Saturday, hot early nights, everybody. Family nights tonight out at JNL. There's all kinds of stuff going on. There's, let's see, oh, man, uh, they've got Rhett Rotten out there. He was on the show yesterday. That was awesome. Music Saturday, there's the big motorcycle parade and the free concert out at WH Lion Fairgrounds with Sawyer Brown. Coming up after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters. We'll chat with Libby Screen of ACLU. That's all coming up on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. You have the but you don't see him, do you dare? 407 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. And we will keep you abreast of that weather development as we go forward here. But in the meantime, we'll chat with Libby Screen. She is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. I think I got that right. Uh, Anyway, she knows what's going on. That's all you need to know. Uh, Libby, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. So uh, since the last time you were here, a month or so ago, we were were talking about other things then. Um, We've had uh, the big Supreme Court uh, uh, nomination. We've had uh, the uh, county opt-out, which you guys got involved in, and uh, you have a big education campaign going on about criminal justice. So we'll sort of hit all those in order 
But first of all, how are you? You all right? I'm doing all right. Okay. Withstanding the heat. That's good. That's good to know. Um, the whole issue of uh, a Supreme Court justice, uh, is this something that the ACLU uh, weighs in on, um, advises on? How does that work? What's your role here? So we, as the ACLU, do not um, endorse or oppose Supreme Court justice nominees, but we definitely uh, see it as our obligation to inform people where the Supreme Court justices nominees stand, if we know, and if not, to encourage people to put some pressure on Congress and on their senators to make sure that they are asking the right questions during the nomination process. And what are the right questions during the nomination process? Well, with any um, any nominee, we want to know where they stand on civil rights and civil liberties issues. We want to know how they view the Constitution. We want to know how seriously they take precedent and and sort of what their issues are, their, what their record is, and try, try to gain some sort of insight into how they might act as a justice. Those are uh, the big issues right now is is how you view, how you interpret the Constitution, whether you are a constructionist or a less of a construction list and what role precedent plays. Um, a lot of people are uh, losing bladder control already over this. Uh, uh, are, are you? Um, not yet. I will say that when uh, the news broke that Justice Kennedy was retiring, that was something that I wasn't necessarily expecting to happen. I know there was a lot of speculation about it, but then he had his last day on the bench and mm -hmm. did not announce from the bench, which is what a lot of them do when they're retiring. Um, so I think people thought we were safe for a little while, and a few hours later, that story broke. Um, I think at this point, we're sort of reflecting on the role Kennedy played and, and trying to figure out what sort of role the next person will have. You know, now we have a nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, and I think that there's a lot we don't know about him, despite the fact that he has been a judge for a while. So we've got uh, a lot of questions and not a lot of answers yet. And, I, you know, it is in one sense good that you have uh, somebody who came off who has a long history on the federal bench because there were other people on that list who did not. Um, and I, my personal standpoint is that it's better to have somebody who has been in the court system for a long period of time because the role of the Supreme Court is more important than any person or anybody's belief system. And don't you think it's at some measure that ultimately serving the Constitution is better served by somebody who has been in that role for a long time? Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I mean, the Supreme Court is the big leagues, right? They are yeah. the most important court. They are the court that doesn't just apply the law, but they interpret the law and the Constitution. So it's critical that whoever becomes a Supreme Court justice, whether it's now or in the future, that it's someone who understands how the court works, that understands the court's history and the really solemn sacred obligation that they have as one of the nine Supreme Court justices. And what do, when you look in, uh, back on Kennedy's role um, in terms of civil rights, uh, and in, in, when we think about civil rights, we primarily think of the Bill of Rights. So you've got your First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment, which is a big one, which is uh, your, your personal privacy, search and seizure. Um, Kennedy's, where was Kennedy on all that for you? He, um, uh, at the risk of simplifying it, he uh, was really good on some things and really bad on other things from our civil rights and civil liberties perspective. I was doing a little bit of digging and look at his, looking at his history today, um, and there are a lot of really historic cases where he was that crucial fifth vote mm -hmm. um, in Texas versus Johnson, which is the case that affirmed the right to burn the flag in protest under the First, first Amendment. He was that critical uh, fifth vote. He wrote historic opinions banning the use of the death penalty and sentences of life without parole for juveniles. Uh, he extended habeas corpus rights to Guantanamo detainees. And he also played a really crucial role, especially over the past five to 10 years, uh, with regard to LGBT rights. Mm -hmm. He wrote, I think, every one of the Supreme Court's decisions protecting LGBT rights, um, including the Supreme Court case that struck down a Colorado referendum that barred protection from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Um, he was the crucial vote in invalidating a Texas law that criminalized gay sex. And he wrote, most importantly, probably the majority opinions in Windsor and Obergefell, which was the case that brought marriage equality to this country. And these are these are he's consistent across this. I mean, he's a very conservative guy. We always, when we talk about Kennedy as a swing vote, that doesn't mean he was a moderate. Uh, he was a conservative guy, but he was, he was very, uh, uh, it seems to me, uh, on 
correct on these issues of individual rights. Absolutely. He um, definitely was conservative, but he really took an open-minded approach, and that ended up really making him a moderating force on the court. Um, There was actually a quote from him regarding being receptive to the idea of an evolving constitution, and he wrote in the Obergefell case, the nature of injustice is that we may not always see it in our own times. Mm. And I think that really encapsulates his view and his uh, the importance that he placed on dignity for all people. And I always appreciate consistency in these things, right? I do too. Uh, and mo- I should say, n- nearly all Supreme Court justices, they get there by being consistent in their views. So uh, that's not to uh, disparage any other Supreme Court justice <laughs> who might be listening, by the way, because we are I'm on sure. KSO.com. So uh, we're going to come right back and talk more with Libby Screen. She is policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. We'll be right back. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. One last pack of strings. 418 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we return to our conversation with Libby Screen. She is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. And uh, we've been chatting about the Supreme Court vacancy and nomination. So uh, we kind of talked about Kennedy and his... Uh, pretty consistent position on individual rights and civil rights. Um, so your thoughts on Kavanaugh in terms of uh, maintaining that uh, perspective? Both of them are conservative guys. It's not an issue really of being conservative or liberal or, or what have you. It's an issue of how you view civil rights. And what do you have any sense yet about his his background and his perspective? Um, There's not really a lot out there that's directly on point outside of the cases over which he has presided as a federal judge. Um, We know that one of the issues that we're very concerned about are abortion rights and abortion Mm -hmm. access. And he really has only um, decided one case related to abortion rights, and that was pretty recently. He vacated an order in 2018 that would have directed a woman to be allowed access to abortion while in government custody. Um, that was eventually overturned. The woman was able to get an abortion, but because of his rulings in that case, it, it pushed out her abortion access by weeks, which is pretty critical when we're talking about a time frame for abortions. Um, you know, I think he has indicated publicly that he has respect for precedent, which is important in any Supreme Court justice, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the greater fear on that being that we could have a justice who ends up voting to overturn Roe versus Wade. And I think that that has been really um emphasized or highlighted by the fact that the president has made no bones about it. He has clearly said, I will appoint a Supreme Court justice who is pro-life, who will overturn Roe versus Wade. So I think on that issue, it's really critical for us to hear more from him about where he stands on abortion rights, uh, both Roe versus Wade and the larger issue, because, you know. Yeah. And the thing about Roe v. Wade, and it obviously everybody gets so uh, excited about it. And that is a that has been an expressed goal of conservatives for a long time, and they have uh, are on the on the verge of uh, bringing that to fruition. But you still have to have a constitutional basis for it, and it can't be well. This is just what I he a, a, a Supreme Court justice can't put in an opinion that I you know I'm pro life, so we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. I mean there there is constitutional basis in the right to privacy. That is what uh, Justice Blackman wrote Roe v. Wade, the majority opinion. Now, you can deconstruct that now in a modern medical from purely from a medical situation about viability and all these things. But to completely overturn the right takes some sort of overriding constitutional uh, uh, logic. And I don't know where that's going to come from. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. I think that it's it's one of those things where the devil's in the details. You know, I don't know that we would see outright an overturning of Roe versus Wade, but there are a lot of abortion restrictions that have been allowed to stand by the Supreme mm-hmm. Court um, that, in my opinion, are an undue burden on the woman's right to choose. So with a lot of Supreme Court decisions and every issue, a lot of it, you know, is the logic and how you can present the case that the Constitution says a or Z. Mm-hmm. And that's going to depend on the justice. And I think their personal views do play a role in that. And if to strike down Roe v. Wade, and you're right, there are a lot of other uh, um, challenges to on the fringes of Roe v. Wade that have 
maybe just as much practical effect as overturning it. But to overturn Roe v. Wade would almost, to me, say that you have to say there is no right to privacy in the Constitution, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a completely valid argument. And one thing that the Supreme Court generally has been loath to do throughout its history is to take away a right that they've already established. So I think that in terms of, of walking that back and saying, no, we were wrong, there is no right to privacy or there is no right to abortion, that would be a shocking departure from case law and from the way the Supreme Court has operated over the past decades. I mean, they could get rid of the sort of uh, trimester structure that Blackman came up with in writing that opinion based on the tech, medical technology of the time. That, that could very well Yeah, that, that could be a part of the consideration. And if you're using Blackman's logic, then you probably have to do that. Yeah. And I mean, I think Blackman's a really good example of how you never really know what's going to happen when a justice is on the bench, because he, at the point that he was confirmed to the Supreme Court, he was not a pro-abortion kind of guy. And then mm-hmm. he ended up authoring the major case on abortion rights. Um, so you never really know how things are going to develop when someone's on the bench. Yeah, it's, it really is. Well, that's why there's thousands of people devoted their entire careers to watching the Supreme Court and trying to predict what they'll do. Um, and so that process is, is underway. Uh, the only other thing that I've seen, and I don't pretend to have read everything on Kavanaugh so far, but it, I saw reference to some concerns by uh, civil rights folks, privacy folks on Fourth Amendment issues on uh, uh, police power. Um, and are, do you have any insight in terms of uh, whether, you know, no-knock warrants and all those different kinds of things? There's a there's not a ton out there that I've seen that persuades me that he'll be either way. But I think that he has taken some approaches um, in, in cases where he's been on the bench that have maybe not been as technologically advanced as we need to be. Um, and by that, I mean the law is often way behind the times when we're talking about technology. And we are really in a new era of surveillance and what technology allows us to do. So I would hope that, that he would take some of that into consideration if he gets on the bench, that, that he would take it as his duty to understand the Fourth Amendment and, and search and seizure in a way that is modern and in a way that takes into account the technology we have. Because it really is one of the areas where you see um, the Supreme Court having to get involved to a great degree degree to protect our rights under the Fourth Amendment against the government. Just plain old surveillance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Facial recognition and tracking you and cracking open your phone and, and all the different things that, that a government may be able to do with technology that maybe isn't really addressed under current law. Absolutely. And I think a lot of our Supreme Court precedent on the issues of the Fourth Amendment and surveillance and technology are very outdated in that, that we were not in an era when those decisions were made where we had cell phones and location tracking and facial recognition. Um, so I think we're starting to see the court catch up. You know, la- I think it was last term that they officially issued an opinion saying that the police do need a warrant to get into your cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest cases that came out of this term was the Carpenter case, which essentially said that the government does need a warrant to to access a person's cell phone location history. Yeah, that so we're was getting very there. interesting. Yeah, and I think that, you know, amongst the ACLU crowd, that was um, probably the biggest, best win of, of this Supreme Court term. I was actually in our New York office for a training when that decision came down and the whole place just erupted into cheers, <laughs> which was a very cool moment to be witness to. But in terms of the ACLU and civil liberties, that has to be... Uh, an, abortion gets a lot of attention, obviously. Not that that surveillance and and search and seizure doesn't. But it seems to me that the public is much more willing to give up those rights today. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's very easy to do that. You know, I hear oftentimes, well, if you don't have anything to hide, why do you care if the government's looking? Mm -hmm. And if you apply that, you take the technology out of it, you wouldn't want the government coming into your house to dig around. You might not have something to hide, but your private space is private and your communication should be private. So I think that you know, people have to get past that knee-jerk reaction of what are you hiding and think about what I want the government in my business like that. Right. And when you say that, you don't have anything to hide. There's a thin line because uh, ultimately the government is human beings and they abuse that power. Exactly. And exactly. we've seen that time and time again. We're going to come right back after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters and chat more with Libby Screen, policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota, and uh, I think we'll get into a little bit of the, uh, we're going to talk about county politics. We're going to go all the way down and then uh, uh, and then talk a little bit about a big education program they have underway concerning 
criminal justice. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 435 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Jesus, don't cry. You can and we return to our conversation with Libby Screen. She is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. And we uh, spend a little time talking about the Supreme Court nomination and uh, the big sky issues about the Fourth Amendment and privacy and all kinds of cool stuff. And we had ourselves a little uh, constitutional law 101. Now... We're going to talk about volunteers. You got a big, you got a big uh, training session coming up. Yes, we are revamping our volunteer program, really trying to get people who are interested in our work more involved in our work. So at the end of July, on July 24th, we are hosting two volunteer training sessions. Uh, both of them will be at the downtown Sioux Falls Library. The first will take place at 12 p.m. and the second one will take place at 6 p.m. So who, should, who should come? I mean, uh, you know, obviously everybody is interested. Everybody should be interested in their civil rights because it's guaranteed by the Bill of, the Bill of Rights under the Constitution. But who should show up? Absolutely. Well, everyone should show up. But in particular, we are looking for people who are interested in sort of the entire range of volunteer opportunities. So if you've got a little bit of free time and stuffing envelopes, sounds like a good way to soothe your mind, you should come. <laughs> if you're interested in maybe being a legal observer at protests or events, then it might be for you. And if you just want to learn a little bit more about what our work is and how we do it and how you can help do it. Yeah. What do observers do? So our legal observers, which we haven't used a lot here in South Dakota, but um, we hope to do them more in the future. They are neutral observers who watch protests or, or other sort of high profile events for uh, issues that might come up for protests being shut down or not being handled appropriately. And they gather information and they report it back to us. They are mm. not there with any kind of civil liberties badge to intervene. Um, they are simply reporters, eyes on the ground to tell us what happened. That's very, and maybe with a cell phone. Yes. <laughs> cell phones, we were talking about the uh, sort of invasion of privacy that you can allow by uh, today's modern technology. At the same time, a very powerful tool in terms of observation and recording. Absolutely. Cell phones are tools and they can be used for good or for bad. It's all about how you wield them. So uh, getting down to the local level, um, you recently, uh, I believe it was you, uh, not your, it was either you or your director, Heather Smith, one of you two, um, uh, was testifying at the county commission, wasn't that right, about the opt-out? Yeah, so we uh, heard about the opt-out that was proposed to happen, and we saw it as a really good opportunity to sort of express our holistic view of smart justice and why it is so important to get things right in the criminal justice system now because it's going to cost taxpayers a lot of money currently and in the future. So we wrote a letter, and our executive director, Heather Smith, came down for the hearing, and I think that the hearing was very, very short. She didn't end up testifying, um, but certainly made our views known to the council members uh, through our letter and chatting with them via email. And essentially, you oppose the opt-out because it's just building bigger jails to house more people. We didn't oppose the opt-out, but we said, hey, this opt-out is coming up because we're spending a lot of money on the criminal justice system in our county, especially with the expansion of the jail. Mm -hmm. So here are a few ideas that we suggest you look at either that are in your direct uh, control as the county commission or that you should think about on the statewide level that could maybe reduce some of those costs and prevent us from having to do that in the future. has issued a severe thunderstorm warning for northern Moody County in east-central South Dakota, northern Lake County in east-central South Dakota, southeastern Brookings County in east-central South Dakota, until 5.30 p.m. At 4.37 p.m., a severe thunderstorm was located near Madison, moving east at 20 miles an hour. Hazard, 60 miles an hour wind gusts and quarter-size hail. Source, radar indicated. Impact, hail damage to vehicles is expected. Expect wind damage to roofs, siding, 
entries. This, if you were thunderstorm, will be near Nunda around 4.45 p.m. Wentworth around 4.50 p.m. Coleman around 5.15 p.m. Flandreau and Egan around 5.30 p.m. For your protection, move to an interior room on the lowest floor of a building. Repeating, a severe thunderstorm warning has been issued until 5.30 p.m. for the following counties in South Dakota, Lake, Moody and Brookings. And we're back with Libby Screen. She is the policy director of the ACLU of South Dakota. And I think we're going to take a very short break here and uh, come right back and uh, chat more. And we'll keep you up to date on the weather as we know it. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. The clouds will blow away. 444 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and uh, we're chatting with Libby Screen. She is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota, and uh, we've God, we've hit the Supreme Court. We talked about counties. Uh, we talked about your volunteer program, which is July 24th, two sessions, both at the Downtown Public Library. You can pro- probably learn more about that uh, at the ACLUSD.com. Org. Org. <laughs> I Close. Took a, I took a shot on the ACLUSD. I got that. Yes. That was a straight up guess. <laughs> Org. ACLUSD.org. Uh, but let's, you also have a big statewide education campaign going on criminal justice, right? Explain to me exactly what that is. Yeah, so we have launched what we are calling our Smart Justice Campaign. Um, And our vision of Smart Justice is a way of addressing the criminal justice system and the issues that actually solves the problem of crime rather than simply punishing people. Uh, That includes looking at the connection between crime and mental health, addiction, employment, education, and housing. And our vision for smart justice and for what our criminal justice system should look like is one that doesn't spend money on ineffective responses to crime and instead finds smarter ways forward that end up saving us money in the long run. What are ineffective responses to crime? I mean, people think, and and I, you know, rightly so, uh, there used to be this phrase, we want to lock up the people that scare us the most, right? Right. And sometimes... The people that scare us the most aren't necessarily the most dangerous, but those are the people we're going to lock up. Absolutely. And how do you convince the public that that person that you think you're scared of, you shouldn't be? I think it's a long-term project, and I think it's part of our task in doing this is making it apparent to people that we're going to be spending money either way, and we can spend up spend our money locking people up and not giving them the treatment for their underlying mental illness or, or their addiction or whatever the cause is, or we can refocus on the front end. We can get people out of the criminal justice system and get them the kind of treatment that will help them thrive and become productive members of society. And how, and, and, and what, what form is this campaign going to take? What are you going to do? Um, so we're doing a lot of public education. And right now we are focusing most of that education around the attorney general's race. Um, obviously a very timely issue. We will elect a new South Dakota attorney general in November. Uh, and we think that there is a lot of misperception amongst the public about what an attorney general does. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that There's this idea that the attorney general is just this lawyer who argues in court and maybe stays up all night writing legal briefs. Um, And certainly that's part of it. But they are also a politician. They're an elected official, right? The attorney general spends a lot of time in the state legislature advocating for and against bills and, and talking with decision makers sort of across the gamut. And at the end of the day, we vote for them and they should be accountable to us. You know, you think about when there's a big hot button issue and the governor's office gets a ton of calls and state senators get tons of emails. But the attorney general really hasn't been subject to that kind of focus um, in the past. And we think that they should be. And to be honest, there hasn't been a race for attorney general in this state in a very, very, very long time because the Democrats have been unable to put up a credible candidate. Absolutely. And, and Randy Seiler, I mean, I'm not picking sides here. He's a credible candidate as a Democrat against... Um, Roundsburg? Roundsburg. I'm sorry, Jason. <laughs> I blanked on Jason Roundsburg. That's my fault. I apologize to him personally. Um, so that's, but that's a good race. Absolutely. Um, and so this is an opportunity for you 
to be part of the conversation. Yeah, to be part of the conversation and to talk about the underlying issues. You know, we talked earlier today about the Supreme Court and how the ACLU doesn't oppose or endorse candidates. And it's the same deal with the attorney general's race. We don't support candidates. We don't uh, give them money. But we do think that it's critical for the public to understand the issues at play and to really understand the role of attorney general. And so we are doing that. Where can I, I can probably learn more about this somewhere without um, getting involved in showing up at a, 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 an event. Do you have uh, online uh, resources for people who want to learn more about your education campaign? Absolutely. You can check out our website, which you helpfully provided. ACLUSD.org? Yes. And uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We spend a lot of time on social media sharing information and news articles and, and you know, a vision for what for what we're doing. And Advocating we do, your privacy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, Facebook has its <laughs> issues. Um, and we do have an event coming up in Rapid City on August 16th. So for the folks out there, if they want to come out and learn more, uh, we'd be love, love to have them. So is that part of this campaign is yep yep what's the event so we are uh, on kso.com we have a huge reach in eastern south dakota but on kso.com of course people across the country listening to this program what what is that going to entail so we have launched a series of what we're calling pints and politics events to get people who are interested in the aclu in one room chatting about the issues we had one in sioux falls we had one in pier uh on friday of last week we had over 50 people there which is for us, an enormous amount of people in Pierre. Uh, so that was fantastic. And we'll be in Rapid on August 16th. So you come out and you have a, a, a beverage and then you, on your way home, you test your Fourth Amendment rights? No, well, I wouldn't. Okay, good. I mean, you know. No, no. <laughs> be responsible, people. Be responsible. Um, there was something I was going to ask you about uh, the, uh, the, the the jails and the uh, smart justice and uh, uh uh, no, I forgot what it was. <laughs> now, I, this issue of, of locking people up and the people who scare us the most, what are your thoughts on uh, this triage program that the county, uh, Mahana County Sheriff Mike Milstead's involved with, the hospitals, a bunch of agencies, uh, where they're trying to keep people out of jail? Yeah, this has to be a good thing. I right? think absolutely. I think diversion programs like this are really reflecting a new shift in how we're thinking about things and how we recognize that for far too long, uh, jails have basically been housing facilities for people with mental illness. And if we can get them out of the system before they even enter the system and get them the help they need, I think that that's a wonderful thing. The the issue of addiction is one thing. Mental illness is another. They often are tied together, but the degree to which uh, what are your concerns about um, the degree to which people in, especially county, um, who are there shorter term generally, well, they are there shorter term, um, are people who often, and I can't remember maybe the percentages because Mike Milstead, they're not firm, but he has used numbers before, but it's a high percentage of people who are in the county jail have some underlying mental illness. And are unable to get treatment for that in many cases. How bad of a problem is that from your perspective? And, and what does the ACLU think we should do about it? I think it's a big problem. Um, and I think one of the things that we can do about it is cut costs elsewhere and use that money to actually fund programs that let people get the help they need. So, for example, we have long advocated for a change in the state's ingestion law. Right now in South Dakota, it is a felony mm-hmm. to ingest drugs, by which I mean having them in your system, in your bloodstream. And uh, we're the only state in the country? With a formulation like that that yes. treats it as a felony, yes, we are the only state in the country. Um, there was a bill this year that would have reduced that felony to a misdemeanor, and the Legislative Research Council estimated that that would have saved $61 million in state and county costs over 10 years. That is a huge amount of money that we shouldn't be spending locking people up. Yeah, regardless of the money, yeah. it's you're you're it's a felony to take a drug. Yeah, to have it in your system, it's it's the same as having a bag of drugs in your pocket. And I think that that's completely uh, outside of the norm and the trends that we're seeing in other states. And it costs us tons of money. It absolutely and fills does. up the jails. Yes, it does. Come on, people. <laughs> that is just ridiculous when you look at that, and it comes up from time to time, mm-hmm. and. What when you're you're at the legislature every year, when you look at these people in the eye and I understand that, you know, there's sometimes a dark, you know, an empty look coming back at you. But what do they say when you say, you know, this is costing us a lot of money. We're the only people to do it. And it's just for taking a drug. Is that really what you want to put people in jail for? What do they say? Uh, I think that there is a big fear of appearing soft on crime. 
And there is, in some sense, you know, we're a political system. These are political people. They rely on being reelected and they don't want to be painted by their opponents as being soft on crime or, or not taking drugs seriously. And I think that that drives a lot of it, which is why we're making a significant effort to talk about these issues more and talk about the human impact and the financial impact, because it just doesn't make sense that we keep relying on these tactics that don't work. And it, puts pe- it just puts people in jail who shouldn't be in jail. Uh, Libby Screen, she is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. We love having her in because <laughs> it's my show and I like talking about this <laughs> stuff. So that's how it goes. Uh, thanks for being here, Libby. Thank you very much. Coming right back. We're going to finish up the show, tell you what's going on tomorrow for the happy hour edition and, uh, you know, get you filled in for the rest of your weekend. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four fifty-eight on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and it's hot out, so it must be time for the Brookings Summer Arts Festival, which, is, of course, is this Saturday and Sunday. Pioneer Park in Brookings, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Sunday. Over 200 artists from across the nation will be selling handcrafted works of art, food vendors, antique booths, children's area, entertainment, and, of course, more. For more information, go to the events calendar at KSOO.com. Coming up on the show tomorrow, we've got another uh, high-level discussion, just like today, with Deborah Owen of the Sioux Falls Area Chamber of Commerce, and we are going to be talking about international trade uh, and how it affects South Dakota. The Chamber recently coming out against the tariff policies, along with the Farm Bureau and pretty much everybody in South Dakota. The Buffalo Maiden will be here from the Black Hills Bureau during Weird Friends. And Thea Miller-Ryan at the Outdoor Campus. Join us, everybody. It's the Happy Hour Edition on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO.